We are uh, still in a series called At the End of Your Rope, and uh, we're going to be in this for a few more weeks, and then we're going to go into a summer series called Summer at the Lake. Now, doesn't that sound refreshing? That sounds awesome. Summer at the Lake. And what we're going to do at that, at, you know, during that series or through that series, we're going to take a look at the, um, the teachings uh, of Jesus as he traveled around the, one of the lakes, and, and we're just going to take a, a, you know, a critical look at his teachings and just kind of relax and enjoy uh, Summer at the Lake. And so we hope and pray that you will uh, continue to uh, uh, you know, be, get excited about that particular series coming up. As we finish this series, uh, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter uh, and... and, and um, I hope that you've been challenged through this. I hope you've allowed God to just, through the power of His Holy Spirit, really grab a hold of you and challenge you through this particular series. This has been uh, very challenging to me, and uh, it's just been it's been very rewarding, but yet just extremely challenging. And so this morning, as we continue on in this uh, uh, this this series, we're going to be talking about hope for the hopeless. And uh, in verse fifteen, if you're following along with me, uh, he says this. Peter says, "But in your hearts." Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, to, it is better if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body that made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God patiently in the day who waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not that the not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward, towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with the angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. You know, if we would take a look back at the early church, one thing we do know is we read through Acts in particular. Uh, when we look through, when we look at the early church and after Jesus' resurrection and the church, the believers uh, continue to, to move forward in the way, um, one of the things is one guy uh, pointed out, he, said, he articulated it this way. He said, the first Christians who ever lived didn't have some of the things that we have. They didn't have bumpers, so they couldn't very well have had bumper stickers splashing their faith on their bumper stickers, honk if you love Jesus. They didn't have a dove or fish logos. They didn't have any witness wear or Christian t-shirts or, or JC hats. They didn't have any super pastors such as myself, right? Um, thank you for laughing. Uh, super pastors. They didn't have a TV, a radio, or any large ministries. They didn't have any celebrity pitch, pitch men making Christianity the vogue religion of the day. They didn't even have gospel tracts, the four spiritual laws. How many of you guys remember those? The four spiritual laws back in the day. Uh, they didn't have four spiritual law books. They didn't have uh, motel room Bibles. They didn't have tent revivals where everybody would come and, and, uh, 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 on the weekend. Yet amazingly, when we read in the Bible that not, not every week, but every single day, people were giving their lives to God and being added to their number. Isn't that amazing? Contrast, huge contrast to today. 
Some of our meetings, staff meetings and things like that, we sit around and say, okay, where are we going with our next series? Let's plan it out. Let's take a critical look at what it looks like so that we can add some, some splash to it, so we can add some excitement to it, so we can grab people's attention. How can we make it relative? How can we really make it relate to an individual? Which all those things are extremely important, but not, these guys didn't do any of that. And yet, on a daily basis, people were coming to know Jesus Christ. What was taking place? How did they do that? Simply, I think it was done by lives being changed by Jesus Christ. Peter gives us four things to take a look at this morning through the reading we just read. And I want to share with you four things in sharing our hope with other individuals and and hope that people will will see that uh, Christ can make a difference within their lives. The first one is this. We need hope properly focused. In verse 15, Peter says this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, this is it, guys. Let's be honest with one another. When we start talking about evangelizing, when we start talking evangelism, outreach, however you want to do it, sharing your faith, many of us will sit in here and cringe up. We will say, well, that's not my personality. That's not my gift mix. That's not who I am. That scares me to death. And so, but I want, I want to talk about this today because the world that we live in is, is, is looking for hope. We live in a hopeless world. And here's the issue. Sometimes we'll say, well, share your faith. And I think sometimes what that indicates, and and by the way, anything I say today, I am not trying to minimize or or, um, talk negatively of something in the past, but often we will say, share your faith. And what many of us, what that means to us is this, share about the time you gave your life to Jesus Christ, whether it be 40, 50, 60, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it is. What was that like? Did you go to an altar? Did you pray? Did you cry? Did someone surround you? Did you get down on your knees? What did you do? How did that happen? And so we, when we talk about sharing our faith, for some of us, we're drawn back in time, back to that event. Is it critical? Absolutely, it's critical. And I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, minimize that particular event, but a lot of times that's how we think about it. Back, back when that happened. What I want to look at today is your hope, which means today. What's taking place within your life today? How has Jesus Christ changed your life this past month? How in this past week has Jesus Christ radically grabbed your heart, radically grabbed your thinking, radically grabbed your personality, radically grabbed who you are, and by the submission to the submission of His Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ has radically changed your life and continues to radically change your life. That's huge. That's different. And so that's what I want to talk about today is that hope. Sharing our faith, again, typically look, we, we, we often look back. But what when we, when we share our hope, we're looking ahead. We're saying to a lost and dying world, here's why I'm confident. Here's why I'm confident. Here's why I can get out of bed the next morning. Here's why I can live my life. Here's why regardless of what's taking place around me, regardless of the events that's happening within my life, that I can't explain, regardless of those things, the one thing I can't explain is why I'm confident, and this is it. This is the hope that I have. And we're saying to a lost and dying world, here's why I'm optimistic in a world whose future tends to look extremely bleak. Let's be honest, guys. Everybody has hopes, right? Every single one of us in this room has hopes. Every single one of us will say... or has different hopes, whether it be the economy, where we say, wow, man, I really hope the economy bounces back because it's really affecting me. It's really affecting me in all kinds of different ways, my job or whatever it may be. I hope that my marriage can become more intimate. I hope that we can become more healthy. My marriage, my marriage relationship, me and my wife, I hope that we can become closer together. I hope that my kids 
will succeed in life. I hope as my kids graduated, just graduated college, I hope that they can, uh, or graduate high school, that this next chapter in their life, they really excel so that they can grow up, you know, and have a health, and have a good life. I hope that my grandkids, that there's something there for my grandkids. I hope that this world doesn't continue to decay and look like what it's looking like now with absolutely no, I hope that my grandkids can live in this world. I hope that I can graduate school. I hope that I can graduate college or whatever it may be. I hope that I can lose weight. I hope that my job gets better. You name it. I hope, fill in the blank. All of us have hopes. Every single one of us sitting in here. And this is the crux of this whole series, the end of our rope, because for many of us, when we say, I hope, we fill in that blank with false idols. Well, I hope that the economy gets better so my, my resume better look top-notch. My, you know, where I get my job, I really need to present myself. And so we place our faith and hope in something that's not going to provide the hope that we're really looking for. It's not saying it's bad to have a good resume. It's not bad to say that you need to do good in school. It's not bad to say you need to make something out of your life. But when we place all of our faith and hope in that, guys, I can tell you right now, it's not going to produce. It's not going to produce. That's not what the Word of God teaches. But yet for some of us, we have all these false idols in our backyards where we are bowing down to and we're placing our faith and hope that those produce what we're looking for. And it's not going to happen. Some of you may be sitting in here depressed and distraught because you've placed your faith and security in things that can't produce. They are not, they can't produce. It's what the Word of God teaches us. But we live in that world. We live in a world where we're hoping for things. We are hoping for things. The problem with the world's hopes, such as the false idols, is they are foundationless. They can't produce. What guarantee, when we ask the question, what guarantee is there that our kids are going to be okay? What guarantee is there that there's going to be a future for our grandkids? What guarantee is there that things are going to work out? What guarantee is there? And the world's hope really don't amount to much more than just wishful thinking. But for us, as Christ followers, our hope is vastly different, or it should be. Our hope is vastly different. Here's our definition for Christian hope, if, we're, if you're a Christ follower. It's this, hope is an optimistic outlook based on promises. The world's definition of this, you leave off the, base, or you leave off the powerful promises. The world's hope is just an optimistic outlook. Man, I hope things get better. Well, they've got to. Because if we elect this certain president and it's going to happen, if we can get Congress to shift, if, we, if this can happen, if that can happen, and so we place our faith and trust in politics, so we place our faith and trust in things that is not eternal. For us, it is based up, an optimistic outlook that is based upon powerful promises from Jesus Christ. And that's what the Bible says about Christian hope. It's living. It's secure. It's certain. It's sure. It's going to happen. The object of our hope as a Christian is Jesus Christ. The reason that we hope in Him is because of the powerful promises that He's given us. The powerful promises that He's been orchestrating within our lives. The powerful promises that He says, every event that's taking place in your life, I know about. Every single event that you're, that's occurring in your life, whether it be negative or positive, I know am aware, and I know about. And they're there for a reason. They're going to be used for a purpose. And when we place our faith and trust in God and say, God, my life is in your hands, my hope is in your hands, that's when we can have trust in a future. 
Obviously, if we're going to share that hope, we've got to have hope that is properly focused. How do we know if our hope is properly focused? Answer this question. What makes you confident in new and difficult situations? In the things that's taking place within your life right now, some of the events that's happening within your life right now, some of you are sitting in here, and there are some events that's taking place, and they're bringing you down. They are horrible. They are things that are unexplainable, maybe. They are things that you're wrestling with. Let me ask you this question. What is, what is making you confident in, with going through these particular events? Because when we ask ourselves that question and we can answer that, what is it that makes me confident in new and difficult situations? That answer to that question will tell you whether or not your hope is sharply focused. Because it's pretty easy for us to have our focus divided. What is it that gives you hope? What is it that gives you hope in here this morning? What is it that gets you through your life? What is it? Some of us will become angry and frustrated because we try to control the things that we can't control instead of placing our hope uh, completely in Jesus Christ. What is it? And we talked, you know, I just shared a little bit uh, with this. What is it that gives you hope in difficult situations? Some of us may say, well, it might be my resume. It might be that promotion. It might be that raise that I'm getting. It might be me moving. It might be me just getting out of these, whatever it may be. This is what it is. Peter says this. This is what gives you your hope. This is how you sharply focus your hope. Set apart Christ as Lord. And maybe some of us in here this morning, you're sitting in here this morning, and the first thing you need to do is say this, God, I confess to you that I have not set apart I have not set apart you as Lord. I'm trying to call the shots in my life. God, I'm placing my hope in things that's not in temporary things that are not in things that are not eternal, and it's not producing what I think it should produce, and it's not going to. And some of you this morning, that's going to be your first step in here to say this, God, I confess to you right now that I have placed my hope in things that can't produce the hope that you produce, the living hope that Peter talked about in the first chapter. But today, God, I want to set you apart. And today, God, I want to put you on a pedestal and you only. You're the one and only hope that I'm going to have within my life. And so the first thing is this, that we take, uh, the first thing that we um, can do for uh, being able to share hope in a hopeless world is to make sure that our hope is properly focused. The second one is this, we need to have reasons individually prepared. We need to have reasons for our hope individually prepared. Again, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, Always be prepared. Always be prepared for what? To give an answer to anyone or everyone who asks you to do what? To give the reason for the hope that you have. And some of us, this can be a sticking point because we say, you know what? I'm not so sure, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure I can do that because, you know, if I start sharing with someone that they may... They may ask me a question that I don't understand. They may, they may crack open the Bible and ask me something that, that I, really, I really don't know. And they may ask me something that, that I just can't answer. May I suggest to you something, guys? You're looking at it completely the wrong way. And may I suggest that's where you need to stop and say, where is my hope? Because it doesn't matter if you can answer everybody's questions about the Bible. But the one thing that you can give a reason for is your hope. What is the hope that you have? What is the hope that keeps you going? As I've already said, what is the hope that gets you out of bed? What is the hope that says everything is going to be okay? Because of sharing your hope, Peter's not saying this. He's not saying, hey, have a snappy rebuttal. If someone asks you a question, you better have a snappy rebuttal. If they really lay out this philosophical argument about whether the Bible's valid or not, you need to have a, you know, you need to defend it and you need to have it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is this, you need to have a reason for your hope. It's your hope. 
It's your reason. It's your reason that you've individually prepared. And how do you prepare reasons to share your hope? You go back to the definition. The definition says it's an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. What is getting you through right now in the midst of your life? You see, when you share that, that's something that no one can argue with. When you say, let me share with you the hope that's getting me through this event in my life. I can think of some of you right now, right off the bat, some events that's happened in your life that are unexplainable, and people sit back and say, wow, that is horrendous. Why would that ever happen to that that person? But then that person shares and says, this is the hope that's getting me through this event. How does people argue with that? How does people argue when you say, you know what? I've experienced this, but I have placed my implicit faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and He has radically changed me. He has gotten me through this event. I don't know how I would have done it without Him. That is your reason. That is your reason. That is the reason you hold on to. That is the reason that, that, that you know that this book is true because God has made powerful promises, and you took God up on that. And God showed up as He does because He is faithful. Have a reason. And have it properly focused. Tucking them away. You may say, well, I'm not bold. I can't talk religion. Can I say something to you? Who cares about religion? This is about Jesus Christ. This is about the living hope. You may say, well, it's not my style. It's not my personality. You know what? Great news is, Peter's not saying that either. He's saying, have a reason for the hope that you have. The hope that you have with inside of your life. Hope, not religion. The next one is this. Do it in a gentle way. Gentleness sincerely expressed. He says, he says, do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You know, we can share our hope in a very soft-spoken and meek way, not pushy. Last week we talked about how to really connect with people, as, you know, like in, in situations that may be, uh, you know, in conflict, whatever, it may, you know, where we can go to someone and we can truly listen, we can empathize with them, we can sympathize with them. We can set our agendas aside. We can listen to other people's hurts. We can listen to their feelings. And and that's doable. And that's how we share our faith with people. It's called being humble. It's saying, I don't have all the answers. It's saying, I don't profess to have all the answers. It's saying, you know, I am am not self-assured. This isn't based upon me. This isn't based upon my abilities. But I'm God-insured. And it's easy to think at certain times that, you know, again, we may not have the personality But here's the issue. The Word of God, our faith is alive. It's sharp as a tack. And that's what the Word of God does. The Bible says this, the Word of God is living and active and sharp as a two-edged sword. The Word of God is what does the the penetrating and the ministry ministry of sharing our hope. It's not us that has to to, uh, convince the other person. It's us just sharing our hope in a very gentle way. And guys, this is what happens. By the way, let 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 me set it up this way to say this. Being a Christian can be a very negative, have a very negative stereotype in our world today. Maybe that's why some of us doesn't like to share about our hope. Because a lot of times we get viewed as being a bigot. We get viewed as being, or not a bigot, but, a, but very narrow-minded. We get viewed as being very narrow-minded, very, uh, you know, uh, just uh, um, uh, whatever, just negative. Uh, there's a negative stereotype. But when we go in being God-assured, when we go in being meek, being gentle, being respectful of other people... We walk away from those conversations where people are able to think about it and say, you know what, this person just witnessed to me. 
This person just shared their, their, their faith with me. We're not beating them over the head with the Word of God. We're sharing with them how Christ has made a, a difference within our lives. Two things happen. Number one, in verse 16, people become ashamed of themselves. If they're saying things about you or saying things about Christians that are absolutely not true, we can walk away from that encounter where they start examining, thinking, wait a minute, I've got a, I've got a false stereotype. The second thing is this, which goes back to chapter 2, where he says this, Live such good lives, such gentle, respectful lives among people, that even though they might insult you, at first they're going to turn around and they're going to or, um, insult you at first, they're going to turn around and they're going to praise God and glorify God on the day He visits. They're going to be drawn to God by the way we live our lives in a God-assured way. So we can share our hope, but it needs to be gentle, it needs to be respectful. The next thing he shares is this, being, uh, having confidence that is courageously maintained. No matter how easy you, may, you make it sound, there's always going to be some people that says this, yes, but. You share your faith, you share your hope, and you lay it all out there, and they say, yes, but. And here's the good news. I think Peter, I think Peter gives us this illustration to, to really address that category of yes, but. Peter says this, yes, but look at Noah. He says this, Jesus went and proclaimed God's salvation to earlier generations who ended up in the prison, in the prison of God's judgment because they wouldn't listen. You know, even though God waited patiently all the days that Noah built his ship, only a few were saved, eight to be exact, which were his family. Now, as we take a look at this illustration of Noah, this is a perfect, perfect illustration that can give us uh, three different things, but as we take a look at the life of Noah, we know that for 120 years, 120 years, the Bible tells us that Noah lived and he, and he built this huge, what, I don't know what else to call it, ark, ship, or whatever, in the back of his yard. Guys, it says that he was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, he was building this thing. I don't know if there were animals then back in his backyard, but he's in his backyard. He literally turns his backyard into a shipyard with a petting zoo, right? A shipyard. We know that this ship is like, what, three football fields long? That's pretty big. I, don't, I would imagine that violated the covenant of his subdivision, right? We're talking a huge ship. You're telling me that he didn't get questioned by other people? You're telling me that people didn't say, what in the world are you doing? You talk about someone needing to be prepared for a reason why there were this activity going on in his backyard, but it says for 120 years he did that. And amazingly, no one ever got saved during that 120 years. There were only eight people that got on the ark with the animals, and that those were uh, people part of his family. It, this can be an encouraging illustration that Peter gives us for three different reasons. Number one, if Noah had Christ with him, so do we. Now, you may say, well, Christ wasn't around then. He wasn't born yet. Guys, Christ wasn't incarnate yet, but we, we read that he created the world. Paul tells us that it was through Christ that, through his spoken word, that the world was created. Colossians, Colossians talks about that. And in Noah's day, uh, Christ might not have been physical, but I, I'm positive his spirit was there uh, for Noah, giving him encouragement and being there with him. We have Christ living inside of us. We have the power of Jesus Christ living inside of us. If Noah had Christ with him in his way, we have, it, we have him much powerful, more powerful. Second thing, if Noah didn't have to produce results, neither do we. That's huge. 
I've been talking to this person for years. Nothing's happening. I'm depressed. I'm done. Every time I share my faith, nothing happens. I'm done. I'm finished. Noah preached for 120 years and did not see any results. That's not our job. That's not my job as a pastor, and that's not your job. That's God's job. Only God can draw people to him. Only God can change people's lives. Only God can radically change people's hearts and minds. And we need to remember, it's not our jobs, but as Christians, the only job we have, it's our reason to share and to speak and to say, this is what's getting me through my life. The last one is this. If Noah can handle the insults and the persecution, I think we can too. I don't think God's ever has come to any of you guys yet to say, I want you to start a building project. The Bible says that the thoughts and the intentions of every man, every person's heart at that time was only evil all the time. For 120 years, that is the environment Noah operated in. We're going to go in our worlds this week, guys, that are filled with hopeless people. That are absolute, This world is filled full of hope. Some of you are sitting in here this morning. You feel hopeless. Maybe you could resonate with this illustration. I ran across this illustration and I debated using it and I'm like, man, this is so absurd that I just want to give it to them because I suffered through reading it. Listen to this. It's an illustra- true illustration of a high school student who made a presentation in his class about his hope. Listen to this. The biggest presentation of the day comes from Mickey. His real name is Steve, but he won't let anyone call him that. For as long as kids can remember, he's always wanted to be known by the name of his hero, Mickey Mouse. High school student. This is not a joke. Mickey has a sense of humor about it, but underneath he is dead serious. He shows the others his Mickey Mouse harmonica, his Mickey Mouse cap, his Mickey Mouse doll, and his Mickey Mouse toothbrush container, and his Mickey Mouse earring. He said he would have brought his Mickey Mouse underwear, but he didn't think anyone would want to see that. Anything and everything I've got, he's, I've got it, he says. He shows them a clipping of a newspaper photo of a cow with spots naturally shaped like he, Mickey Mouse's head. According to Mickey, the cow, according to Mickey, the people who own the cow have already sold it to Disney. They got about a million bucks for the cow. The other kids are stunned by the sheer number and diversity of the souvenirs, especially for the Mickey Mouse fishing bobber, which one kid says, no way, where did you get that? In which Mickey says, I don't reveal my source. I don't reveal my sources. The teacher asks him how his fascination began, and this is the sad part of a true story. He said this, it started a while back when he had quit, he had quit school for a time and was at home by himself. He was depressed, he was lonely, he felt like a failure. He said, I couldn't make any friends. And that's when I found Mickey Mouse. That's pretty absurd. I wonder how many of us in here this morning have placed our hope into things as absurd as Mickey Mouse. It's the same thing, isn't it? Here's the other side of the coin. Guys, there are people in your world. There are people that you work with. There are people that cut your hair. There are people that you have a 
somewhat superficial relationship with at the grocery store that checks you out, your favorite restaurant, you have somewhat of a relationship with your wait with your wait staff. There are people that you live next to. There are people that live right next to you. There are people all around you that are lonely, that are sad, that are feeling overwhelmed. They've placed their hope into things that that have not given them have not given them hope and they're looking for hope and Peter's saying what share your reason share your reason share what Christ has done in your life share what Christ how Christ has radically changed your life and and again it's one thing that Christ radically changed your life back here but how is how has Christ got you through some situations now where has Christ radically changed your how has Christ changed your your life radically this past month, this past week, or whatever it may be. Those are the reasons that we share, the hope that we share with those people, with those people within our lives. People are looking. There are people out there that are abs- have absolutely no hope because we're living in a hopeless world. I pray that you will allow the Spirit of God to just captivate your heart. I pray that through this series, God has been just really making you restless. And I pray that you will become a person. I pray that Element Church will become a church that's full of people that have become humble and contrite. It says, God, here's my heart. Here is my heart. Make the changes you want to make. And I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you to guide and direct me and to make me into the person that you so desperately want me to be you've created me to be. I pray that you will just, again, connect with the Spirit. Let God's Spirit just captivate your heart. We're going to close with a song that we, we, we sang, but it really goes back to what are we placing our faith and hope in? Is it the living hope? Or is it something that is false? So I pray that you would just engage with this song as we close.